The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. As a dad, there are plenty of moments where I make plenty of mistakes, plenty of mistakes. A couple of months ago, however, I actually made a good call. There was some talk in our office about a movie marathon that was going on at a few uh, theaters leading up to the Avenger movie that came out a month ago. And so they were going to show the five different Avenger movies beginning at 11.30 a.m. and have them run all day back to back until the, the uh, launching, uh, revealing show of the Avengers at 12.01 that night. So 11.30 a.m. to 2.30 uh, a.m. the next day. I heard this, I heard some younger people on staff saying they wanted to do this, and I thought, that sounds like torture. That sounds terrible. I mean, there's no way. I love movies. That's a, you know, it's too much of a good thing. And so, but I thought about it, and I thought about my oldest son, who would absolutely love to do something like that, especially on a school day. So I decided to get a couple tickets and surprise my son with this. And so on that Thursday at, at 11 o'clock, I pulled him out of class and, you know, wrote down for personal reasons. And, uh, and you could just see the staff at the front desk just kind of going, you're one of those dads, aren't you? You're one of, and they're kind of making notes on me, I'm sure. But take my kid out and we go and Hulk is the first movie. I had seen it before. Eh. Uh, but we, you know, you kind of got to get, get into the whole feel of the thing. So I watched the Hulk at 11.30 a.m. with my son. We're having a good time, but at the end of the movie, my eyes are strained. They're red, they're, they're glossy. I'm like, you know, and my back is hurting from just sitting in the chair the whole time. And the smell of, of, of popcorn is just kind of, I've had enough of it. We're on movie number one. <laughs> So here it is, it's about 1.30, and I'm just, there's no way I'm going to get through this. I just, there's no way. So we launch into the second movie, which, is, which was Iron Man. I had seen that movie before, very much like the movie Iron Man. And uh, by the end of that movie, my eyes no longer hurt. They were no longer glossy, no longer red. My back no longer hurt. See, what I think happens is our body sends us signals and says, don't, warning, warning, red light, uh, careful, careful, careful. And if we ignore them long enough, sometimes our body just says, ah, do whatever you want, I don't care. (laughs) And I think that's what was happening as I was sitting in this chair because it was all getting comfortable. Then we went through movie number three, and by movie number four, they brought out the 3D glasses. I hate 3D glasses. They give me a headache. I don't understand what's happening. Uh, I, I have to remove the glasses in order to try to understand what's going on on the screen, and then everything is double, and so it's even worse. I think, why would somebody pay more for this? It's terrible. It's more torture. Well, by the fifth movie... I'm jamming on the 3D glasses. I'm loving 3D glasses. I've ignored my brain signals that are saying, this is not good for you. It's not healthy for you to sit in this chair for 14 hours. All of the things that my brain has been telling me, I'm ignoring them long enough to where they just fade away. And I had a great time, and then I drove home after watching Avengers with my son at 3 o'clock in the morning. He's still talking about all the movies in the back of the car. I'm barely hanging on to get home at 3 o'clock in the morning. We had an absolute blast. Now, sometimes I think in life we get warnings 
from the world around us. We get warnings perhaps from words from people who care about us or maybe warnings from our conscience, warnings from a feeling. Maybe it's even our nerve endings that our body is communicating something to us. And what happens is if we ignore those long enough, sometimes they just fade away. And then we move from something being a problem which is getting lots of warnings to something that is worse. It becomes a pattern with less warnings. And so what we're gonna talk about today is when a problem becomes a pattern and how much of a bigger deal that is and how that connects with uh, the series we've been talking about here this year. As we launch into that, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, once again, we trust you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from the presence of your Holy Spirit. We want to hear from you in your word. Uh, May anything that I say just be uh, filtered through so that we can experience your presence here today. Open our heads and our hearts to experience that. And God, today we are celebrating dads. Thankful for any dads who are here in this room, perhaps new or visiting. God, would you uh, encourage all of us as dads to be uh, all that you have called us to be in this incredible role of being a dad. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of dads, uh, let's just take a quick little visit with our three uh, less losers uh, and uh, see how our winners are doing. Uh, Are they on the screen? Can we see them in the other room? Hello. There we go. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Very nice. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so they got their feet up on the table. Everything, everybody comfortable? Yeah. You got pizza. You got root beer. I hope it's bacon pizza because that would be appropriate in the morning, right? Canadian bacon. Excellent. Excellent. Enjoy the rest of the celebration. We'll check in with you one last time later on, all right? See, that was worth every green drop that they took there. Awesome, awesome. Uh, uh, the series that we've been in this year is called AD, and we're, we're, looking, we're spending a whole year talking about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, not just to learn information about Jesus, but to actually know Jesus, to be one of the 12, to hang out with him and get to know him as a person. And... What we've been saying over the last few weeks as part of this journey is that when you're in relationship with somebody, there will be conflict. So if it's a real relationship, there will be real conflict. I met with a friend this week who's a part of our church, and and he said, when are we going to be done with this conflict stuff? He said, I I get enough conflict in my life. I don't want to come to church and learn more about conflict. And so we had a little conflict while we were talking about conflict, and uh, we got over it because we had a healthy conversation. But uh, the good news this morning is that this is the last week in our journey looking at the conflict piece. And what we're looking at today is is what happens in the conflict we have with Jesus when that conflict moves from being a problem to being a pattern and how the stakes get higher when that conflict shifts and what happens with our relationship with God when it moves from being a problem to being a pattern. That's what we're going after today. And that basically is what happens with an addiction. What happens with an addiction is we move from something that we're aware of as a problem into something that becomes a part of our life. It becomes a pattern. 
Most of the time, and, and I believe we're all addicted to something. There's some part of our life that has a hold on us. We're all, in small or large way, addicted to something. And the first time that we enter into that thing, an addiction is, is, um, is something that is going to be harmful to us. And, and the first time that we enter into that thing, that's most likely when that has the most resistance for us, when that has the most red flags, the most discomfort for us. Our conscience is on highest alert when we are first entering into something that is not what God has designed for us. Typically, it's the first one that has the most resistance for us. What happens, though, in terms of brain chemistry is that once we cross that line and we enter into that the first time, there is at least part of us that, that has blazed a trail to say, in some way, that's okay. I've experienced that before. I've gone through that, and I know what happens on the other side. So the second time has less resistance and the third time has less resistance, and it becomes something that gets easier and easier and moves, at some point, moves from being a problem to being a pattern. It's as if we're uh, putting on chains around our ankles. Imagine you have a ring around both angles connected with a big old chain. And at first, that's the only thing you could think of. As soon as you strap it on, you would look down on it, you would be 100% aware of its presence on you. It would be so obvious to you. It would be so screaming at you that it is right there. And then there would be a shift into, well, this is, this is uncomfortable. It's starting to cut into the skin a little bit, and, and there are certain movements that you could make that make it less comfortable and uh, more um, manageable. And once we get over the discomfort, we're faced with the reality of how restrictive it is. And so we can't go down steps in the same way. We can't ride our bike. We can't do certain things that we used to be able to do. And so we realize these are the things I can no longer do. These are the things I can do. And so it becomes restrictive, but we get used to the things that we can do and we kind of stay there. But then when we get used to that, eventually even chains around our legs could become tolerable. And we start to realize, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm, this is what the rest of my journey is going to be. So this is what I'm comfortable with now. We actually could get comfortable with it. And that's what can happen with something that becomes a pattern in our lives. That's what happens with an addiction. It becomes something that is chained to us. We become enslaved to it. And so there's a big difference between something being a, pa being a problem that we're aware of the, of the constant warnings and, the, and our conscience is fully engaged with that. There's a big difference between that and something that moves into a pattern where we, become, where we start to tolerate it and we hear less red flags in that journey. I want to take a look at a story that is rather unique in the New Testament. It's the story of a man who encountered Jesus and largely remained unmoved. It's a unique story because most people who encounter Jesus, who have some kind of encounter with Jesus, they're either healed or they're liberated or they're deeply offended. But you've got to be moved in some way. This is the story of a guy who was largely unmoved, and it's found in Mark chapter 10. If you brought your Bibles, uh, uh, the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in the book of Mark, chapter 10. 
And this story is found in all three of what is called the Synoptic Gospels. The first three books in the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are referred to as the three Synoptic Gospels because there's synergy between those three. There are a number of stories that are found nearly identical in each of these three stories, which leads scholars to the conclusion that some of these writers borrowed from each other and or they borrowed from another source. And so that's why these books are called the Synoptic Gospels. There's four Gospels. First three are the Synoptic. Then there's the Gospel of John, which is very different. John is very poetic. A lot of stories are found in John that are not found in the other three books. So this story is found in its entirety, in the full form, almost identical in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, which is somewhat unique. We're in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. It goes like this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's a good question. Really, that's the question. It's the question that each of us have asked at some point in our lives in some way. We're, we're basically saying, what's the plan, God? What's the story? How does it work? How does salvation work? How does judgment work? How does eternity work? If I begin to believe in this stuff, how is it all going to happen? How does it work? Verse 18 why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Before I read what Jesus says there, just embrace that Jesus loved him. He didn't judge him. He wasn't condescending. He didn't bring condemnation. Jesus looked at him and with love says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. How would you like to be the main person in Scripture who's known for having an encounter with Jesus and walking away unmoved. He's in a unique category by responding that way. See, Jesus knew this guy's heart. He loved him. He knew that this guy had done well in many areas. He had not stolen. He was honoring of his father and mother. He had done well in many ways. But Jesus knew that this guy had one area that had a hold on him, one area that were chains around his ankles. Jesus knew the one thing that was the main issue for this guy, and it was money. This guy, this rich young man, had probably heard plenty of warning signs in his life to say, hey, you know, careful with money, careful with pursuing money because you'll never get enough. It'll be this ongoing thing. You'll never know when to stop. It always leads to something else. There's always somebody richer. Careful with it. He probably knew the lyrics to the song, Can't Buy Me Love. He knew what money could do and what money could not do. He was fully aware of this, yet he came to a point 
where money shifted from being a problem to being a pattern for him. And he came and he asked Jesus, hey, what, what must I do? What's going on? He wasn't even aware of that being the, being the change that were wrapped around his leg. He had become calloused, my guess, is that he had become calloused in that area. He no longer was sensitive to the promptings of God in that area of his life. No longer sensitive to his conscience in that area of his life. And Jesus knew the one area that he needed to go after. Jesus knew that one area. This is not a universal command. Nowhere else does Jesus say, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He doesn't say that. That's not a universal command for all of us. There are many folks who have lots of money but are not enslaved by it. Obviously, there are lots of folks who have money and are in some way enslaved by it, but not everybody. And so this isn't a universal command. Jesus understands this is the issue for this person. And Jesus knows what your one thing would be. The issue in terms of self-awareness is, do you? Are you aware of an area in your life where you perhaps have become calloused to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to the gentle nudgings, the challenges in some area of your life? Where your conscience is no longer heard where if you had an encounter with Jesus, it would be the one thing he would ask you about to say, this is the place where I want to work with you on. Jesus was individual in particular with this, man, with this young man. And he can be that with us when we're in relationship with him. Jesus knew that this man had moved from it from being a problem to being a pattern. And a problem is way better than being a pattern. See, prior to conflict, things are great. Okay, in dating and in the whole process, prior to conflict, that is a great place to be. That's where we want to enjoy life. And conflict, that's not so comfortable. But conflict is better than getting beyond conflict where it's a pattern and we don't even feel it anymore. And that's where conflict is a good thing. Compared to a pattern, Conflict as a problem, as a fully engaged thing, is good. It's good to be in the conflict place and avoid the pattern place. In fact, as many of us have learned, conflict can be the place where we grow the most. It's in conflict. It's in that struggle where we are engaged and we are twisted and stretched and the muscles get stretched more and more and they grow and they get stronger through that process. Many of, of us have seen that in our journeys as I was thinking about this, I, I was re remembering a clip that I really enjoyed from the TV uh, show Lost. Season one of the TV show Lost, I really enjoyed. It was all about discovering the different characters, and it was a creative way of doing that. I think, uh, just in my opinion, I, I, it kind of tanked after season one. They started to get into scientific experiments and time warp, and woo, and I couldn't really follow anymore. I think it was for more intellectual people, because I couldn't track it anymore. But season one, I thought was great. And so um, I want to show a clip from, that, uh, from the, a show where an older character named John is trying to help a younger character named Charlie who has a drug addiction. 
And so John is the keeper of Charlie's drugs, and John is trying to to, uh, deal with the struggle and free Charlie from his drug addiction. Check this out. I think it's a great image. That struggling is nature's way of strengthening us. That sometimes it is the conflict itself that makes us stronger. That conflict can be a good thing. Remaining in the struggle with Jesus, with whatever part of our life that, that we're giving God access to, remaining as a struggle is a good thing. It's when we allow it to drift into being a pattern and it's no longer a struggle for us, that's when it becomes super dangerous. Dads, I know we don't like conflict at home. I don't like to come home and, and kids are fighting or to say, you know, I'm going to have to go and talk with one of my kids about something that's going on. And those conversations are not fun. I don't enjoy that at all. And we wish there was less conflict and, and we uh, wrestle with what our role is in that conflict and, and the whole deal. But conflict compared to a pattern is a good thing. So dads, celebrate that there is a conflict and don't let a problem drift to a pattern where there's no longer any conflict. Because once it gets there, that's when our heart starts to be released in a way that is not healthy. That's when we start to care less. And we don't want to get to that point. So the conflict is hard and it's uncomfortable, but it can be a place where tremendous growth can happen. I want to go back to our, our story of the, the young man in Mark chapter 10. I want to look once again at verse 22 at how he responded. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He walks away. Here he is, he is spoken to by Jesus. In verse 21, Jesus says, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Go do this, young man. Take care of this, these chains that are around your leg. Then come and follow me. And this guy, unique in Scripture, walks away unmoved. What happened to him after that? What happened to him after that? You notice Jesus doesn't chase him down. You notice here in this story, Jesus doesn't go after him and chase him down. You ever notice that in Scripture? That Jesus uh, is all about an invitation. Jesus says throughout Scripture, come, follow me. Those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, come to me. He says to the disciples, come, follow me. Me. It's always an, uh, an invitation. He never chases people down. You um, think about his interaction with the Pharisees, the powerful religious Pharisees, and that's where he had ongoing conflict with folks. And he never chased them down, never ran after them saying, oh, come on, I really am God. Be- believe it. It's true. Here, I'll show you. Just give me one more chance. He never does that. Yes, it's true that Jesus tells a story of leaving the 99 sheep to go after the one. Jesus has 
amazing passion that no one would fall away from him, that each person in here in this room, in your family, friends, in your neighborhood, at your place of work, Jesus has tremendous passion to reach those hearts. And the overall story, what we've called the whole shebang for the past couple of years, this overall grand story is about God, God's relentless pursuit of your heart from the day you were born. Yes, but if we fold our arms and turn our backs to him, he doesn't chase us down. You think of the story of the prodigal son. The father doesn't go into the city and chase the son down in the city and rescue him from feeding the pigs. The father waits and invites and allows the son to come to him. And when he does, that's when the father runs out and meets him. Jesus doesn't chase us down. He makes himself available for us to come back to him anytime, to shift from a pattern where we're ignoring his nudging to a problem where we're going back to the conflict and saying, let's deal with this. I want to get through this. I want to get these chains off. So dads, I think there's some application for us in, our, in the way we love our kids. Don't chase your kids down. You are not responsible for the decisions that your kids make, especially as they get older. When they're super young, we've got to physically take care of them. But as they get older and older, they own more and more of their responsibility. And it's not our job to chase them down in every situation, every circumstance, to make sure they don't make a bad decision. They get to own that decision. Instead, may we be the place that is always available for our kids to come. May we, like Jesus, always be a place where we can say, come to me. I want to live a life with, with the highest level of character so that my kids can look at me and say, I, I want to be like my dad. And when we live that way, they will come instead of us chasing them down. One way for us to apply this whole concept, this whole image of, of moving from, from a problem to a pattern. One way is for us to view ourselves as children of God who's the Father. And in that relationship, may we not become numb to his nudgings, to his warnings, to the ways that he wants to poke and prod and stir things in our hearts. May we not become numb to that. Now, I know that we can't all handle everything that God wants to work on in our lives at the same time. I mean, I'm so thankful that God's grace allows me to work on things one at a time. And spiritual growth is not about dumping uh, so much guilt onto our already strained backs. That's not it at all. It's about uh, uh, opening ourselves to being attentive to the warnings from God and not being numb and callous to the, to the ways that God wants to chip away at certain parts of our heart. Yeah, most of you, uh, many of you know Juno Smalley, who's a pastor here on staff, and Juno is, is uh, helpful in many, many ways here as, here as a pastor, and he has many, many things to contribute. One of the things that is not his greatest strength is proofreading. 
If you ever get emails or texts from Juno, you can know who they're from just by the number of spelling mistakes. And so there's actually this language that we, we start to learn. Like I speak Juno because uh, when I get email messages from him, there's always like a little puzzle and you have to kind of rearrange some words and rearrange some letters in order to try to understand what he was saying. Sometimes you have to ask for a few more clues in order to get the point, but it's really interesting how that happens. And for those of you who don't uh, regularly get emails from him specifically, maybe you've gotten our church newsletter this week, uh, and, or maybe you got the, the first follow-up to that, that there was a correction, and then the second follow-up to the correction that was a correction on the correction. Maybe you've uh, received that, because Juno is tremendous at communicating. It's just uh, some of the details he likes to skip over at times. Uh, and what my favorite part of Juno's uh, uh, communication journey is that on his smartphone, he has, a, he has his, his autograph. It says, uh, this was sent from my smartphone, so please excuse the brevity and any errors that may occur. Uh, if, the, if the phone was so smart, then why doesn't it uh, fix the errors for me? Or something like that, dot, dot, dot. See, that's a proofreading cop-out is what that is. That's basically saying, I'm going to make mistakes. It's not a problem. It's a pattern. So let's kind of move with it, go with it. Now, grammar is not a moral issue, and it's not about his character. Grammar is not a moral issue. Now, if you talk to my mom, you might get a different uh, answer to that question there. That, but grammar is, is not that. What about the other real areas of character in our life? How many times do we write a little disclaimer at the end of it saying, yeah, but that's just who I am? And so we become callous to the nudgings God may have in that area of our life because we've embraced that's just who I am. May we be careful and not become numb to the areas of our lives that God may still want to poke and prod at and he has the power to give us the courage and the strength to work on even those tough, calloused areas. It's like uh, playing guitar. Uh, when you first learn how to play guitar, your fingers uh, are really in pain from pushing on the strings. And then what happens after a while is you get calluses on those fingers, and it doesn't hurt anymore. You don't feel it at all. You can push all you want all day. It doesn't hurt at all. And that's good for playing guitar. That's terrible in terms of spiritual growth. Because what happens is if we ignore God long enough, we can get little calluses in certain areas of our lives and then we don't feel it anymore. Our conscience doesn't feel what he's trying to communicate to us and that's not a good journey in terms of spiritual growth. The other way that we can apply this concept of of a problem and a pattern is uh, for those of us who are fathers or parents and how we would interact with our own kids. See, our kids they make the same mistakes over and over again. You know, we watch them, and it's hard as parents to watch them. We say, how can I communicate to you how important this is in a different way so that you can actually get it? It's hard, it's frustrating to communicate it to you again. Fathers, what we need to have with our kids is the kind of patience that we need Jesus to have with us because we make the same mistakes over and over again, and he is that patient with us. May we bring that kind of love and that kind of full engagement into our relationship with our kids and stay engaged, stay engaged, because we're gonna land in one of two places. Either we're gonna believe in the pattern 
place and say, you know, that's just who my kid is. We're going to believe the lie about our kids and say, hey, there's nothing he or she can do about it. That's just who they are, and they'll carry that with them the rest of their lives. Or we will combat that lie of the enemy, and we will say, that's not who you are. I've said that so many times to my kids, specifically those words. After, after what they've done, just say, that's not who you are. That's not a pattern. That we're still in conflict mode here. Let's stay in conflict mode and not drift into pattern mode as we love on our kids and give them the grace that God has given us. I think um, some of our winning dads uh, have learned some of this stuff. Let's check in with them one more time and then we'll wrap up. Dads, how you doing? Oh, all three awake. Good for you. Perfect. Hey, we have a, a prize for you. Our lovely assistant is going to give you uh, little packages there. There's a baseball, and there are four tickets to a movie. You could take your family and go see the Avengers or whatever. Very good. Thank Excellent. You. Thanks for playing. All right, give him a hand one more time. See, now you wish you had eaten faster. They're very cool on that. Hey, would you uh, bow your heads with me as we pray and close? Father, first of all, I want to um, come before you as, as a child, that each of us just um, needs the patience that you continue to give us as we wrestle with imperfections in our lives. And God, in any area where we have uh, drifted into a pattern, when, where we have believed the lie that that's just who we are, God, would you give us the courage to be poked and prodded by your Holy Spirit, that our conscience would, be, would come alive in an area where we thought maybe was dead? God, we know you don't want it to, to beat us up. You want to love us up. Just the way in this story, Jesus looked at this man and loved him. God, would you love us into a place of freedom and liberation from some area that we might be in bondage with? Come, enlighten us to show us what that area is so that we can hear from you, so we can step back into conflict and be fully engaged and then as a result, grow. And Father, I pray for... Um, the, the fathers represented here in this room, that we would father our kids well, that we would learn from you, and in the midst of our mistakes and our imperfections, that we would continue to um, stay engaged with our kids, that the conflict can be a transforming opportunity for them and for us. I pray a blessing on dads here in this room, that as a result of following you, we would be better dads. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.